if you have your Bibles, if you would go to Luke chapter 14, we're going to read verses 25 through 33. And if you're able, if you would just stand with us whenever you have it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the screens. Um, or if you use your phone, uh, you can use that as well, uh, or however you, you prefer to read. I will be using the English Standard Translation this morning. This is what it says. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just add your blessing to this word today. God, open our ears and our hearts to hear and receive. Lord, let us walk out of here different than what we came in, stronger in our faith. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Uh, this is one of those times in Scripture where Jesus is saying some really hard and tough things to some people. Uh, th this is one of those instances where uh, we, we read it and we're like, I can't believe Jesus would really say something like that. Like, if you think about it, because for so long you, you think of Jesus as this kind, loving, graceful, uh, floating on a cloud, rainbows and unicorns and cupcakes type of guy where everything's just kumbaya all the time. And, and you, we, we forget that Jesus had some harsh realities that we had to face, that we still have to face. And so we, when we read scriptures like this, it almost like gives us a sinking feeling in our stomach. And, you know, that's kind of the point of scripture. You see, it's the only book that when we read it, it reads us. It, it reveals things to us that are going on on the inside of us. And when we feel those types of feelings and we feel uh, almost like a turning in our stomach, like, ooh, I, I don't know if I could do that, that's a good thing. It's the challenge that the Holy Spirit brings to us through His Word. And so we see Jesus here has is, is got this crowd that is being attracted to Him. And what he's doing in this scripture is he's drawing a dividing line. He's drawing a line to separate the crowd from the disciples. You see, there is a lot of people who were attracted to Jesus, but there are not as so many that actually follow Jesus. There are plenty of people who love the idea of Jesus, but when the rubber meets the road and it's time to do the things that he says to do, and when he comes knocking on the door and it's time to clean house and shape things up in our lives... We, we get a little bit nervous about those things. And what he's doing here is he is separating the wheat from the chafe. He's saying, this is, this is a moment here where he has the, cap, 
the captive attention of this crowd, and he's telling them, he says, listen, if you're going to continue to follow me, and you're going to continue to go after me and, and come behind me, you need to understand these things. He's letting them know how hard the journey really is to follow Christ. It's not an easy journey. It's not a journey that is full of flowery fields and cupcakes and rainbows. It is a journey that brings hardship. He's giving a dividing line to separate those who are truly followers of him from those who are merely part of the crowd and just fans of him. It is a hard teaching that he is giving. And, and if you don't believe me, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 51 through 30, or 53, I'm sorry, he says, do you think that I came here to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. There is a distinction that Jesus came to make. He, in this teaching, this backs up his division that he has created through whether you follow him or you don't. You see, this division isn't a division where he's intentionally creating this, this uh, contempt and, and anger and, and fighting within your household. That's not what he's doing. He didn't come here and say, I'm going to make sure that you have problems in your house. He's, he's saying it is a byproduct of following me. That when you follow me, there are people who are going to look at you different. There, there are fights, and, and not even necessarily fights, there's disagreements and, and division that comes between a believer and an unbeliever. And to some extent, there should be. We shouldn't agree with the world on all things. We shouldn't be in, in this, this, uh, this coexistent relationship where, where, where everything jives. That's dangerous ground because it requires us to change the word of God to fit with the culture in the world. When we follow Jesus, we walk different, we talk different, we act different. That, that's just part of following Christ. And so as a byproduct of following Jesus, there is this dividing line that occurs that separates us from those who do not love him and do not follow him. Are you with me this morning? That, like, that, that I understand that this is a hard concept, and, but maybe it'll shine some light on some situations. Maybe it will help you understand why you don't fit in with this crowd and why that crowd doesn't necessarily like you so much and, and why you struggle. If you really truly follow Christ in your life, there are people that it will just it will rub the wrong way and it will make it difficult to, to live together with them. Jesus is not intentionally causing this division. It, he's saying here, I've come and it's going to be a dividing line between whether you follow me or you don't. He's making a distinction between the crowd and the disciples. And the question I want us to answer for ourselves today and ask ourselves today is, are we a disciple or are we part of the crowd? You see, there, there is distinctions throughout Scripture. There are characteristics between the two that we can take from this Scripture and others uh, throughout the Gospels that separate the crowd from the disciples. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
First off, the crowd observes while the disciples participate. You see, the crowd gathers to watch miracles, but we read throughout the Gospels there are plenty of miracles that the disciples play a part in. For example, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. Well, the crowd was there. They observed it. They watched Jesus break the bread. They watched him hand it to the disciples and watched it be passed out. And at the end, they probably looked back and saw all the baskets full that were being collected uh, that were left over from just a few loaves of bread and a couple fish when Jesus made the first red lobster. It's all right to laugh a little bit. When, when, when we see that, we see the crowd observing, the crowd even receiving, but it is the disciples who are participating. They were the ones that took the bread that was broken by Jesus. They were the ones that took that bread and those fish and began to walk through the crowd and pass it out. And, and they were part of the miracle. They weren't just observing and, and standing back in the crowd watching it happen they were involved in it. You see, we're not just supposed to be observers of the word. We're supposed to be livers and doers of the word. See, we can come into church, we can sing the songs, we can listen to the message, we can even read the Bible, we can even pray. But if we don't begin to participate in what God is doing in the church, in our personal lives, and in his scriptures, if we don't put those things to action, we're missing it. And we find ourselves being observers rather than disciples. If we just always stand back and watch what God does, we will, we will never get the full experience of what he's doing. There is another level that comes with participation. See, there, there's, a, there's, there's a different uh, experience to be had. Think of it like this way. If, if you're a football fan or a sports fan of any kind, there's a big difference between sitting in the stands and being on the field. I love, I love too how like uh, the the what are, they call them the armchair quarterbacks, who uh, maybe played in high school but didn't really play in college and definitely didn't play in the NFL, but they know how to do it. They can tell Tom Brady that he's doing it wrong, and they're confident that they can do it better. Like those people exist, but they're not the ones on the field. It's like in Scripture, we see the critics of Jesus' miracles in the crowd, the Pharisees, the, the scribes, all, all those religious elites who were observers. They were there, they saw it, but they criticized when he healed people. They criticized when he did certain things because they were observers rather than participators. They, they read the Word, but if they were really an, an experiencer of the Word, they would have understood that these miracles were what they were supposed to be and not this crazy religious rule breaking although it was in some sense but we get like that when we see people participating in what God has for them we get critical when people are being blessed by God we get well why doesn't that happen for me or they probably are lying to get that or they're doing something wrong and instead of just saying man God is blessing them if somebody gets financially blessed, we, we get jealous instead of celebrating with them. If somebody gets healed of something, we get bitter that we didn't get healed instead of celebrating with them. But when you begin to celebrate and when you begin to not be a critic but rather a participant, your attitude shifts and you're not just, you're not just watching their healing and getting bitter. You're participating with them in their healing by celebrating it. We should not be observers 
We should be participants. The other thing that draws a distinction is the crowd gets information while the disciples get revelation. There's a big difference. In Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, it says this, When he was alone with those around him, with the twelve, they asked him about the parables. And the Bible says Jesus answered them. He says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they may turn back and be forgiven. Jesus pulls these disciples aside after he has been sharing parables with the crowds. And he explains to them what these parables mean. And then he explains to them why he uses parables. You see, the disciples got an inside look of what was meant because of the time they spent with Jesus. Because of their intimacy with him, they got taken off to the side. And all that information that was out there for everybody, Jesus sat them down and explained to them and gave them the revelation of what it meant. See, there is so much revelation to be found in Scripture. There is so much truth. Like, there are the weirdest Scriptures that speak to me in ways that don't even make sense if you were to read it normally. There are times I will read one verse about somebody in the book of whatever. One verse. And there may only be one verse about that person. But God will open up the door of revelation to speak to me and some things in my life that I need to do or change or grow in. There, there, is, there is a level that, that comes with spending time with God, a level of revelation. Whereas those who just always spend their time in the crowd will only ever get the information. The difference between information and revelation is information is exactly that. It's just information. It's words on a page. It's names in the book. It's stories that are told. But revelation is when it comes alive in your life. It's when it becomes real to you in a way that you can apply it and use it and live it for you. Earlier we read Malachi chapter 3. That should be something that comes alive to us in our obedience and giving, that we find the blessings. There's revelation in that. I got revelation in that through receiving blessings through giving and obeying in that and then God pouring out blessings in my life. I've, I've shared before, he's blessed us with a vehicle. He's, he's blessed us with good health. He's paid bills for us and yes, I give him the credit for it. There, there are things that, that God takes care of in your life. There are things that happen in your life when you live in revelation, not just information. But revelation only comes through a process of discipleship. And we'll get to what that means here in just a minute. But before we get to that, I want us to also understand that the difference between the crowd and the disciples is that the crowd, they're, they're a bunch of fans, but the disciples are followers. What, what that means is the crowd goes to Jesus, disciples go with Jesus. See, the crowd, they'll go, they'll watch, they'll go home and be done with it. But the disciples, they say, all right, where are we going next? They, they don't, let, let me put it in modern terms here for you. They, they come to church, 
they ask the question after service, if they're a follower, all right, God, this was great. What's next? Whereas people in the crowd, they come to church, they go home and they forget all about what even happened that day. That's the difference in Mark, or in, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. It says this, when Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the order to go to the other, order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. <clears throat> Lord, another of his disciples said, First let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And then the men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. You see the difference here? The crowd came around him. He began to be questioned and said, hey, I'll go with you wherever you go. And he says, foxes have dens and the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple says, well, let me go bury my father first. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. And then watch what happens. They get in the boat and it says the disciples followed him. I kept on reading there, and I included the rest of it there, because I think it's important for us to understand that a lot of times when we follow Jesus, it means following him right into a storm. The disciples get into this boat to follow him to the other side, and they're met with a storm. They said, all right, Lord, what's next? And what was next was a storm. I think that's a powerful truth and revelation for us today. Because there are many times where we feel like we're on top of the mountain with God. We feel like we, we are living in his blessings, living in his favor, and we're like, all right, God, what's next? We just watched him do miracles. We watched him take care of people and, and feed the hungry and, and heal the sick and the lame. And then, and then he says, let's get in this boat. We're going to the next place. And when we do that, we're met with a storm. It's quiet in here a little bit, and I think that's because I think a little, uh, at least a few of us can relate to that this morning. Amen. Where, where, we, where we go from living in blessings and miracles to a storm. You see, following Jesus isn't an easy task. There's a reason why Jesus gave this dividing line, this, this questioning and, and this, this, these statements of you have to hate your father and your mother and, and you have to be willing to abandon all that, let the dead bury their own dead. He's, because if we can't do those things, and let me clarify here, when he says hate father and mother, it means in comparison to how much you love him. I don't want us to walk out of here and start hateful relationships with people thinking that we're being spiritual and following Christ. Because that's not the case. It's that we have to be so dedicated and so in love with Jesus that no matter the cost, no matter what we have to leave behind, no matter what we have to walk away from, we'll go with him. 
Because if we can't walk away from things that are holding us back from following him, we are not ready to go to the other place with him. If you can't let the dead bury their own dead, you are not ready to face the storm with him. If you can't leave the places you love and have become so uh, comfortable with, if you can't uh, move out of your comfort zones, if you can't uh, walk away from relationships that were leading you into sin and leading you into places you shouldn't have been, if you can't leave those things behind because you're so attached to them, you will never be ready to go where God is taking you. That, that's what he's saying there. I, want, I wanted to clarify that because uh, it's a hard teaching. It, it's hurtful to think about abandoning those things. But these disciples, when Jesus called them, they left their nets, they left their families, they left everything to go with him. And it's because of their willingness to do those hard things that they were able to be called disciples. And you won't be able to face the storm. These guys left everything, have seen some miracles, and still had a hard time with the storm. They still had a hard time with the storm. And so if we think that just by doing the bare minimum, we're going to be able to get through the storm ourselves, we are gravely mistaken. If we can't do the hard things daily... The, the hard things in the physical, we will never be able to get through the hard things in the spiritual. Amen. What I mean by that is you need discipline in your life, spiritual discipline. It, it's part of discipleship. If you, if you don't do the basic things of reading the Bible, people will say, oh, it's, it's so hard to find the time. That's pro that might be true, but if it's too hard to find time to read the Scriptures how will you ever be able to go other places with God? It, oh, it's so hard to find time to pray. I, I don't ever even know what to pray. I, it's just like we make excuses to give up on discipline. It's so hard to get to church. It's so hard to do this. It's so hard to I get it. You got to work. You got to provide for your family. You got to do different things. And, and, I'm, and, and that's okay to, for that. But when you have the ability and when you can, you need to be in the house of God. The scripture tells us, do not forsake the fellowship together. Amen. The gathering together. It's important for us to be, like these are basic things that lead to being a disciple. But if we can't get these things right in our personal lives, we will never be ready to conquer the great things that God has for us. Everybody wants to walk on water. Everybody wants to heal the sick. Everybody wants to see the 5,000 fit. Everybody wants to be parts of those things. But nobody's willing to start with a prayer closet. Nobody's willing to start with knowing and reading the Word of God. Like Without doing that in your life, you will never see the big grand things. In fact, Jesus even says that you have to be faithful in the little things before you can be blessed with the great things. And so, Jesus in this scripture also paints this picture of, of kind of what discipleship looks like. I got just three things here for you, and then we'll be done. The first one is carrying your cross. He tells them back in our opening scripture, he says, you have to carry your cross and come after me. In other words, you have to understand that there will be suffering, there will be hard times, you're going to have to die to some things. You're going to have to give up some things. 
And like we just talked about a little bit, if we're not willing to do that, if we're not willing to bear the cross, if we're not willing to carry the cross and follow Jesus, in other words, follow his example even up to the way that he died, then we're not fit to be a disciple. The second thing he, he draws a comparison to with it is building a tower. And the first thing he says about building the tower is you have to count the cost of building it. See, like I said earlier, it's going to cost you to be a disciple. There, we have to sit and evaluate those things. Jesus is telling the crowd to evaluate if you think you can do it or not, and we have to do the same. And, and I'm not saying sit down and decide if you're going to follow Jesus or not, but you need to weigh the costs of what you're asking God for in your life. We ask God for these big, great things, but are we willing to pay the price that it takes to get those things? Are we willing to make the sacrifice? Are we willing to leave behind people? Are we willing to walk away from careers and jobs? Are we willing to do those types of things? Are we willing to take that step of faith? He, he's saying count the cost. You, you, if you're really going to follow after Jesus and go where he wants to go and, and follow him to that level, you've got to understand what it's going to cost you. Because if you don't understand what it's going to cost you, you'll never finish it. That's what he says. He says, those who do not count the cost, they start with the foundation, but once it gets going, once things get a little difficult, they abandon ship and they get mocked for it. We have to count the cost. The, the other part of a building uh, project is that it is a process. If you're going to build a tower, it takes time. It takes sawing, it takes hammering, it takes blueprints, it takes planning, it takes all of those things. And we, we need to understand that discipleship is not a destination, it's a process. Like, we, we think like, oh, I'm doing these things, I've arrived. There is always another level with God. We go from glory to glory to glory until the day we go to heaven and the ultimate glory. There is always more to be experienced. In fact, even in Revelation, the angels are sitting around the throne worshiping, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. And in the context of that scripture, they're in eternity. In other words, you have reached the final level, and there's still more of God to come. That's what they're saying. We are in heaven. We are in the context of eternity, and yet there is still more of God to be revealed. For all of eternity. It never stops. There are levels. And we have to understand that we are entering a process, not a destination. Finally, he, he talks about uh, the, the comparison of a king counting and, and deliberating to get ready to go to war. We need to understand that our life of faith, it's not a ticket for a cruise ship. It's a position on a battleship. You see, we, we want to get uh, the rainbows and unicorn stuff because it feels good. The, the oh, oh, everything just floats away and, and everything just, uh, just is so kosher and, and so uh, wonderful all the time when you follow Jesus. I, I have never found that to be true for my life. And what I mean by that is, it's not a 24-7 thing. There are times and seasons where it just feels like nothing could go better because it's so good. 
But there are other seasons where I feel like even just waking up in the morning is a fight. Getting the willingness to just get out of bed in certain seasons of life is hard because of the things you know you're going to have to deal with that day. There, like, there, there are seasons of wonderfulness. Then there are seasons where it truly is a battleship. And we need to understand that when we go into this thing, there are days where it is a fight. There are days where we have to. There's a reason why Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. There's a reason he called it a fight, because it is a fight. It's not, following Jesus is not this easy thing. It's probably the hardest thing you will ever do. Because it's easier to just do whatever you want. It's hard to follow Jesus wherever he's taken you. With this war, I, I like how he draws up some numbers for us. He says the one king, being the disciple, looks at it and, and he, he considers if he can take his 10,000 and go up against the 20,000. There's this uh, underdog feeling that you get when you follow Jesus sometimes. There, there is this there is this feeling of, I don't have enough to do this task. I, I don't have what it takes. I don't have uh, enough people in my corner. I don't have enough finances. I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough this. I don't have enough that. And I have 10,000. They have 20,000. And it seems like everything is stacked against you. It seems like the 20,000 is too much to handle. But what I've learned is that it's about quality, not necessarily quantity. Throughout Scripture, time and time again, you can see stories in the Old Testament where Jesus takes the remnant, the hundreds to beat the thousands, the few to beat the many. It's not about how many. It's about how good is it. You see, it, it seems like the world has more than what we can handle. It seems like uh, reaching the world with the gospel message is too great a task. And in your flesh it is. In your strength it is. But when we look and see what our army and our, our force looks like, it makes that 20,000 to be quite puny. But if you're not willing to sit back and understand that there are times where it seems like everything is stacked against you, the advantage goes to the other side, the advantage goes to your situation, it seems like you'll never get the victory because there's too much to deal with compared to what you have in your hands, then if you can't take the time to look at that and say, I'm still going to go forward, which is what he's saying you, you need to do. You either need to do that, or like he says in the scripture, he says, you need to go and find a way to make peace with it. In other words, you need to accept defeat. We have to understand that there are times that it's going to feel like all the odds are against us. Following Jesus 
is one of those things where you walk in with nothing against a whole lot of something. You walk in against a lot of hopelessness, and it seems like there's not enough hope. You walk in with not a whole lot of faith into a situation that requires a whole lot of faith. And yet, when you're following Jesus, somehow you continuously get victory after victory. That there, there's a song, it's, it's one of my favorites, it's called Never Lost. I don't sing, so I'm not going to sing it. But basically, the song just talks about every battle, every, every challenge, God is undefeated, essentially. I love that song. That's one I've listened to a lot because it applies to the body of Christ in such a powerful way. When we look at the world today, it seems like so much is stacked against us. Like just in day-to-day -day life, there's a lot of things that are just hard things to do, and it seems like you don't have enough strength, you don't have the energy, you don't have the patience, you don't have the kindness, you don't have the resources, whatever it is. But I've found that when you begin to take those steps forward with Christ and walk in obedience, all of a sudden those things begin to multiply and it becomes more than enough. When we follow Christ as disciples, we need to understand that it is a life of discipline. It requires us to make sacrifice and carry our cross. It requires us to, to approach it like we're going to war on a battleship, not a cruise ship. And we're building a tower. We ourselves are being built in this process. The tower is us. When you walk in discipleship, you're building you as a believer. You're building your faith. And it's a process, not a destination. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?